0: It made me realize this is something that I can do, that I can enjoy, I can always appreciate this, and it makes me happy.
1: Hi and welcome to another episode of Center Nation. My name is Brandon Sparks. And here on Center Nation we discuss film genres and the tropes and stories within them. And today we have a special episode for you. I guess you can say it's our bonus Halloween episode. This week, I sat down with filmmaker Xavier Bergen, director of Horror Noir, A History of Black Horror. Xavier's film is a documentary that examines the relationship between African-American history and the evolution of the horror genre in film. It's a great film. I, I've seen this movie a couple times now. I watched it last year, and then I just watched it recently for, the, for October with all the Halloween and horror films I've been watching. And I've known Xavier for a while now. He made a, a, a phenomenal film. I am a huge fan of documentaries about movies and film history, and it's incredibly difficult when trying to create a balance with these types of movies because you want to be both informative and entertaining, and that's easier said than done. Xavier and his team were able to pull this off, and we, we talked about that in this interview today. Um, like I said, I've known Xavier for a while. We both attended the University of Alabama around the same time, a few years back in 2010s. But we we didn't meet up until I moved out here in Los Angeles to attend film school, at the University of Southern California, which is where Xavier was. And Xavier was a great resource for advice when I moved out here. I remember in the first days I I was in Los Angeles before I even moved here, I was looking for an apartment. And I called Xavier up because I was looking for advice of how to tackle, film school because graduate school and Los Angeles in general was a very big change for me coming from, from the South and coming from Alabama and Xavier was incredibly gracious with his time and talked with me at length about kind of what to expect and what to do. And I remember just pacing out in front of what would become my apartment and talking with him uh, about what was going to be coming my way when film school started and xavier that hasn't changed xavier's still very gracious with his time he did it for this interview uh initially we thought it wasn't going to work out because of scheduling we had talked about it earlier but it wasn't wasn't going to happen because the month was kind of ending and our our kind of horror comedy halloween month was coming to an end but he emailed me this week he didn't have to and he was like hey i have some time open up do you still want to do this and i Truly appreciate him hopping on, hopping on Zoom to talk about this fantastic film. But without further ado, here's my interview with Xavier Bergen. Hope you enjoy it. I guess the big question that I assume you've gotten so many times is, were you a big horror fan before you made this movie? Well, that's the thing. You
0: know, I've told folks like, you know, I enjoy horror. I've always loved horror. I still remember the first horror I watched, which I think it was like in 1997. Uh-huh. Uh, this thing was super cult sci-fi from back in the day, called Event Dead Horizon*. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. Lawrence Fishburne here. Yeah. Love fucking loved it as a kid. Still, I should not have been watching this. Terrible for me at that time, but. <laughs> loved it loved it loved it so the interesting thing is like you know like all of us especially if we loved film we love tv and that stuff we grew up on this stuff irregardless it, it's like you can't even run away from it yeah anyway um i think that's one of the things that's so ubiquitous about horror like yeah. you could stop yourself from watching the drama you can probably stop yourself from watching uh a comedy and notice it but horror just feels so ubiquitous and everywhere because of the fact that also horror tends to be so much easier to make and it's always usually going to be pretty viable. Yeah. So I feel like, you know, we all grew up on it regardless. But I will say that, you know, while I feel like I grew up on it and I knew this type of stuff, I watched it as a kid a lot. It really was until I got older and started realizing that it was a thing that I could do as well that made me interested in this and then help Going from there and coming to understand that there was an entire genre that deals with horror and there were black and brown folks. I didn't even know that was a thing for yeah. a long time until I got more into doing my own research. And, you know, a lot of that stuff happened around the time I was at USC, mm-hmm. um, too. And then I think, you know, what really jumped me on for this one for Horror and War was i mean, keeping up with the stuff. And, you know, I'd always wanted to do fantasy, sci fi, horror, but I always felt like that wasn't a possibility. Like I think about the time when I was at SC. Still love still love. I went to SC, always gonna love that. But when I look at it, we only did like comedies and dramas. That was kinda it. Yeah. At that time. There really wasn't any focus on genre at all, which is so weird when yeah. you think about it. And I think that's changed up more nowadays, but when when I was there, it just wasn't a thing. It just wasn't. Yeah. So, you know, when they finally came to me, with this and said, yo, are you interested in uh, doing this? You know, of course. I was like, absolutely. And it was, and I admit, I always tell folks, I admit, if this, had, if they had just came to me and said, we're doing a documentary on horror,
1: mm-hmm. it
0: probably wouldn't have resonated with me as much. Yeah. But the fact that they wanted to do black horror something that I'd known about, I'd read about, and this was a way to shed more light on a genre that folks just didn't know in the first place. I was like, absolutely. Yeah. I'm down for it then. So Hopefully that answers
1: your question. No, 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 no. Yeah, it does. I mean, the thing about horror, because like I've, what we do on the show kind of uh, every month is like, look at genres, uh, specific genres. And with horror, I really begin, you learn how, and you're in and, and horror and kind of shows this, how you can put um, social context or even like, you can say more than just like scares, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of the movies you guys talk about in the doc kind of do that from get out to uh tales from the hood or uh ganja and hess like there's something more than just scares there's it's there's a meaning behind everything yeah
0: you know to add to that the one thing i've told folks before mm-hmm. uh when you think about like you know black horror you think about horror that deals with black and brown people or from us or things to that degree in comparison to regular horror that we get let's just say like you know a more mainstream um Usually horror that white folks will know on a regular basis, which, you know, might be, you know, the Freddy's, the Jason's, Nightmare on Elm Street, like, you know, things to that degree. And I think a a big thing when talking about this and why there is more social relevance, and I think that all of us, like Freddie Jason, all of us think that they they all speak to something that was going on. You know, for example, when you look at the 80s and horror and why, you know, you ask them, why is so much of this in, you know, suburbia? Like, why is that? And that specifically happened because of the white flight that, you know, white folks were leaving out of, you know, our big towns, big places, going away to have a more, basically black free places. And that's where suburbs kind of like built out. And that's why we ended up having so many suburbs in the eighties for uh, stuff. So not to say that we can't have that meaning, but uh, the social relevance of it Mm -hmm. usually in these spaces tend not to be as prevalent or in your face or it's not gonna be the main crux of it. Like when you think about a Freddy adjacent movie, the fact that it's all these suburban kids and maybe one black person with them isn't really like the main understanding. He just come mm-hmm. here and he's a bad guy, he's killing stuff. Whereas, yeah, yeah. you take God's genus, you take Get Out, or you take Son of Him God from back in the day, the girl with all the gifts, or any of these ones we talked about, yeah. there is already something that's built into it that specifically wants to make a message that you can call that blatant, or you can call it like more focused, but, it's that piece there because so much of the horrors that black and brown folks and black people deal with are very, very much connected to what's happening to us. Whereas in white America, more often than not, the boogeyman or the bad guys need to be kind of made up to a degree because there isn't that inherent, and not saying that you you as white person can't be scared of things, but there isn't that inherent othering that's happening That you know you can turn into the monster in the same way that you know we dealt with it on a regular basis. So that's where I think that piece comes from within having
1: more of a social
0: tinge when it's you know inherently black or brown folks like making their film or working within this.
1: Yeah, I I know. Kind of what you're talking about, like the other and specifically the early films you talk about in the or in the documentary is essentially you have to create the monster of like if it's King Kong or this to represent something and with, with black car it's i mean it, it's more realistic and, and i guess that like you're talking about the monsters if it's like i know with like tales from the hood you have with the different stories of like police brutality and things like that are put in there and it that's not really put in quote unquote white horror i guess you could say
0: well i mean yeah again i would say in you, you can call it white horror. You can also say just yeah. mainstream horror. You know, it, that's another way. Yeah. Say but yeah, the thing to add into it is you look at, again, you look at Freddy and Jason. And there are meanings to it and suburbs in it. But, you know, it's about the ha- it's a slasher and cutter. Where yeah. you take, you know, a get out. And, you know, a lot of folks don't even realize get out is not just a horror. Film, it's a sci-fi horror. Yeah. They're literally talking about transplanting brains, but it's not really at the forefront. And they'll try and jump. Because then it's like you start getting it out. You, know, you got to explain way too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, specifically, you know, in that you have this, and this is what made it so different mm-hmm. is that, you know, the rate like you take 90 living dead and, you know, it's dealing with this, but also dealing with the blatant racism, uh, essentially mobs that were going through because these mobs and zombies kind of felt like the mobs were white people that were coming after black folks at that time, yeah. which is what made it so crazy to see a uh, Dwayne Jones actually being in the front and center in that type of way. But then, you know, he still dies, whereas you take, get out and get out. What it made sure to do is where Dwayne Jones and now they're talking more of more blatant, straightforward in your face racism. Yeah. Get out said, OK, yes, let's talk about racism, but let's talk about it in liberal spaces. Yeah. And how, you know, most of us, we think, and okay, you okay you and me, we're both from Alabama. Yep. So when folks talk to us about racism, they're thinking KKK walking outside, taking a goddamn cross, burn some shit on somebody's yard. Yeah. Like that's usually what folks are thinking without understanding that racism is far more pervasive and it can be in very progressive liberal areas. It's just in a different type of spacing in use. Yeah. And that's what Get Out really jumped into. And I think that's something that a lot of folks don't really get into. Cause I'll, I'll put it like this, like mm-hmm. for us as filmmakers, Obvious, we get that shit. But yeah. I had a friend, love to death, and they took their suburban mom to see Get Out. And the suburb, suburban white mom, really nice person, she's watching the entire film, and she's like, oh, that was really fun. I really enjoyed myself. And then she asked, well, so, you know, just so I'm on the same page, what were they doing when they had their hands up? You know, they were in the backyard and stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the suburban mom's daughter, who, again, knows her stuff. She's amazing. She's like, mom, they were selling him. Yeah. And she literally her mind was apparently completely blown by the idea that this was the thing, which is crazy because yeah. for us, that scene was very blatant. Yeah. Very blatant. And but you still have these individuals who are coming into these type of understandings and it completely going over the head, which feels one is a black person crazy to me, me is a crazy to me, but that's very much how things are when it yeah. comes to understanding of things because our our experiences aren't the regular normal what's told on a regular basis
1: yeah i know like with get out for example i remember when seeing it the big moment is when and you guys talk about this in the documentary when the cop car shows up Mm -hmm. uh and i remember being in theater and just seeing the lights and i remember oh shit here we go because just seeing that is a signal like this isn't gonna end well and and jordan peele is a great job and 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 I guess, I mean, one of the questions I had too is like, one of your best moments in the film to me is when you're showcasing how important, when you're comparing Jordan Peele and Get Out, the ending to that with Night of the Living Dead Mm -hmm. and how moving and impactful is the way you edit it, the music you use, I think it's great. And with Get Out, because Get Out wasn't a part of, uh, I assume, because her book came out in 2011, uh, Dr. Robin R. Means Coleman's book, so what was it like extending the narrative past what was in the book with get out? Like, how did that come about?
0: Well, I mean, the nice thing about it is it wasn't that overwhelmingly hard because, you know, a lot of folks just, again, most folks didn't even know about black car or car yeah. in the first place. So we were jumping into this, it would be okay. I'll put it like, it's it be different if again, you jump into a more, well known space. You mm-hmm. deal with, you know, the sitcoms, wanna do documenting about friends, you wanna anything like that where folks have been, you know, dissecting and jumping into it for decades on end. Whereas with Black Horror, Far and War, there was nothing else to really uh compare or, you know, uh uh put it side by side other than the book. Yeah. So that gave us a lot of freedom to essentially build the narrative how we felt was fair. And it also helped that you had Dr. Robin Armies Coleman, who was always there to help, you also so Ashley Blackwell, who's, you know, very, very well-versed in, in black horror, and then also Tanana Reed do. And mm-hmm. I'd even say these three women, you know, who are, you know, three of the producers on there, they know more about black horror than, than I do, point blank. They do. And, and, I, and I'll never deny that, thank yeah. God they were there with me. Um, going through all this stuff and building everything out. So the, the, the thing that was nice about it is it didn't feel, I'm saying all this stuff because because it was a new thing, a new uh, area to deal with that uh, the most mainstream folks didn't know, it wasn't that hard to be able to connect one piece of where she stopped yeah. to get out and all that type of stuff because get out in a lot of ways was the Magnus Open. It was yeah. the realization of a lot of the things that Tananarive do, Ashley Blackwell, but especially Dr. Robin Armies Coleman was talking about yeah. when it comes to Black horror, when it comes to horror noir, when it comes to Afrofuturism, when it comes to some, these, these aspects of Black artistry mm-hmm. that are just now coming into the fold of Hollywood giving a shit about them. Yeah. So overall, instead of it feeling like, okay, how do we have to figure out how to a weed to get, to get out, yeah. get out was like the natural ending Yeah, in a lot of ways, which was amazing. And then also, you know, uh, Jordan also allowed us to have a couple of clips from us yeah. to use in horror and horror before it came out as well. So all of this to say that it was actually relatively easy, mm-hmm. which I also have to say horror and war as an overall production, putting it together was so much more, uh, I'm not going to call it easy, Mm -hmm. but when I'm talking about streamlined and as non stressful as possible in comparison to almost anything else I've done, even the stuff back at USC, this was a blessing to just work on. Uh, And again, that's kind of unprecedented on a regular basis. Like, you know, usually going into any shoot, I'm always thinking like, okay, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? And then (laughs) once I figure that out, then I say, what's worse than that? And that's my bar. Yeah. And we never even got close to that, which was, you know, just a blessing within the self.
1: Yeah. And what, what I assume was probably very helpful. Again, it's with the book as your blueprint where you mm-hmm. can kind of follow that through. And-, and, and just to just to add into what
0: you're saying. So I always tell folks like, you know, I didn't come up with the idea. Yeah, that was Dr. Arbie, R. Reverend Armas Coleman and then Ashley Blackwell coming to her and saying, let's build this out. So when they finally came to me and said, we want you to be a part of this, I was coming into something that was already have scholarship, have folks that understand this stuff yeah. and already came into it with their version of an outline that yeah. kind of showed, you know, how this story can go. So, you know, it's it's one of those things that it's like, you know, if <laughs> if there was ever someone said, here's a silver platter yeah, yeah. to have your way with, to build this out as great as possible, I could have asked for no better way to walk into a space
1: and yeah. begin to collaborate
0: on it. It really was that good.
1: Yeah. And one thing with that, what was the theater setup up in that outline or was that something you brought to the table of like how you interviewed everyone? So one of the nice things we collaborated on it. So
0: they knew they always wanted a, a theater setting and they knew that they wanted to like see what eyes and have that stuff. So, you know, that was great. And then we came to the conclusion that it's like, yeah, let's do something where it's more conversational. And then we, and then it's like, yeah, the conversation really works with, um, the theater, because in a lot of times, especially in the Black community, we really love to, you know, have this full immersive <laughs> uh, feel <laughs> with watching a movie. Where it's not only watching the movie, but almost talking to the movie and talking between each other as things are happening. Yeah. It's it's really great. It's something where it's like going to a Black movie theater and then going to like a white movie theater can be an entirely different experience. And I recommend anyone you should you should see that feeling of like being going to the same movie and watching both. Mm-hmm. So essentially they had the overall understandings of where they wanted to go mm-hmm. and when I came in it's okay this is good let's expand it out from there.
1: Yeah, because yeah. you do create like an experience. That's the thing with I know I've heard you talk about in other other interviews like you didn't want it to be a talking heads documentary because that can that can sometimes be boring. And yeah. with that yeah. you were you were able to create a immersive experience of of being there with the people you're talking with.
0: Yeah, I mean when you look at Horror Narc, Horror literally is talking heads, conversations yeah. and then clips from other movies. Yeah. In almost any scenario, that's a disaster. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but for us because it was so focused in there, I mean there was nothing else to really do other than talk about that. So yeah. you had to make sure you had to make sure that it was entertaining, that was interesting. And I think like in most cases when you do that, it's not gonna work out well because there's something boring about just listening to people, and that's it, yeah. but I think the thing that really helped us out is the fact that again this wasn't number seven of you yeah. know a thousand different videos online and documentaries and everything yeah. about of a black card. This was the first thing. This is yeah. the first one, and we didn't even realize that as we were making it. Yeah. So, with that in mind, I think that the novelty of this new area that so many people did not know about mm-hmm. helped to curb what could have been the disaster of just having talking heads or mostly
1: talking heads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, how did you how did you do the pairings of like your interviewees? Was that just scheduling, or was that just like specific purpose of why you did that? So it's a little bit of both. Mm -hmm.
0: So, I mean, I always try and be as honest as possible. Like, a big part of it is scheduling because you only have these – I mean, again, all of the people that came in, these are folks who have had careers for decades, even before we were born. Yeah. So they've been in this forever, and they're legends within themselves. Like, in a lot of ways, like, you know, almost everyone that came in there that we talked to, either you specifically know who they are Mm – and you know their names, like a Tony Todd, like a Rachel True, like a Keith David. Yeah. Or these are people that, while you may not necessarily just know their name automatically, you have seen them in films. Yeah. In TV, you have seen them at some point. That's how long their career is. So um, because of that, you know, while they're all very nice, very professional, they're giving this time to us out of the goodness of their uh, of their hearts. Now, mm-hmm. of course... Um, and okay, with that understanding, it's like, okay, let's make sure we don't piss anyone off <laughs> and we use this time to the fullest, yeah, yeah. which that's one reason, of course, we wanted a conversation, but that's another reason why we did, you know, two people at the same time yeah. to where, you know, you have two people having this full conversation between one another. It's dynamic, it's fun, but also that means that that hour block that you have for both of them could just be done all at once. yeah, yeah. yeah. In comparison. So it, it made a hell of a difference. And they were all really, really great to work with. But that was number one. And then secondary after that was saying like, who would work best with one another? Um, and, and who would be best to, to talk back and forth? And I think we did a good job with kind of talking about who felt like they were contemporaries and mm-hmm, or yeah. they had sim- maybe not similar careers, but something to where they can go back and forth with one another. Um, which was nice. It ended up, I ended up doing that. I think my favorite one is uh it was Keith David. That was the main yeah 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 and Ken Foray. Those yeah. two fucking amazing. Yeah. Love them. Great to work with. They know what they're doing. So professional. They just start singing. And it's like okay, we'll yeah. take that too. Yeah. So, you know, ended up working out really well with, you know, being able to pair them by time but then also just by personality.
1: Uh yeah. Yeah, that was that was my favorite, too, because they have mm-hmm. such great chemistry together. I'm going to backtrack a little bit. So and you kind of mentioned it because we're both from the South. You grew up in the South. And I know from my time there, there really there really isn't much of an opportunity for like filmmaking as a career. Mm-hmm. Like like becoming a filmmaker wasn't a career teachers taught you in high school that you could do. And it feels like something that you kind of stumble upon. Um, and so, like, was there a specific moment where you became interested in film?
0: I think for me, when I think about uh, that, so I'd always liked film and stuff, but mm-hmm. when I was younger, you know, I wasn't like, you know, oh yeah, I want to be a filmmaker. Because like you said, growing up down South, wasn't nobody telling us that was even a career to go into in the first place. Yeah. So it really, even though I've written, I've, I've been writing and doing that type of stuff since I was a child, uh, it wasn't until I got into Alabama yeah. when I had that moment where I was like, okay, this is something I can do. And it really, it wasn't even in, the TCF, uh, you know, telecommunications department mm-hmm. was in, uh, what was it called? Again? Was it new,
1: new college. Were you in new college? Yeah. yeah. New college.
0: It was new college. And I took a, a film class with Billy field called make a movie
1: mm-hmm.
0: in there. Love Billy field to death. And Billy just said, here, do he a camera at us and say, go make something. And we did go make something mm-hmm. and it was bad. It was really bad, <laughs> but, it made me realize this is something that I can do that I can enjoy. I can always appreciate this. And mm-hmm. it makes me happy. And that's when I said, okay, let me start making a full-on course to just, you know, bang through this and focus on this side. I did mm-hmm. new college. Then I jumped into TCF. And then after about you know maybe like a year there, then that's when I sat and I had sat down with Dr. Rachel Ramis around this time and she said you should come over here as well. Yeah. And she's been a great colleague and then also mentor throughout all of this as you know her. Mm-hmm. And it was around that time when I was like, "Okay, I did my time at Alabama, mm-hmm. and I know what I want to do, and I want to shoot for the stars." Which is that's when the whole like you know film school, that type of stuff, made a difference and got into a couple of places, and then chose SC. But yeah, it was definitely around maybe like end of sophomore year, going into junior, to the class with Billy. And it made me realize, okay, this is something that I can really enjoy yeah. and want to do. And I, and I always, I'm always very honest about this, because a lot of, you know, a lot of us, well, I grew up, you know, with this since, you be know, since I was a child, I've been watching Star Wars since the beginning of, you know, time and shit. And I'm not mad at that. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But, you know, I I always talk about this because I want folks to remember that you can figure out what you want to do later in life. It doesn't have to be something that you were at five and you realize it. Shit, you can be 40 and realize it. Yeah, yeah. If you're willing to work your ass off and deal with it, you know, hopefully everything will work out. But yeah, that's for me. It really was college where it became clear. This is the route to go.
1: Yeah. I think our generation is kind of the, the, the people who are realizing you don't have to have everything figured out by your 22 years old like i know with the previous generation and like my parents it's like a lot of people think like oh you have to have your career picked out by 22 have a job and that's what you're going to do for the next 30 35 years or whatever or 40 years um and that's changing um which is nice and so so how did that experience i guess both the alabama and usc like inform you when like in terms of like taking on horror noir
0: i think in terms of how USC helped me, out would understand it, uh, understanding, I how to deal with it, was mm-hmm. um, the one thing I've done so much, well, you take it all the way back to Alabama, I've done so much uh, work that was multi-camp, yeah, because yeah. that's, you know, what yeah. we did with Horror Noir, we do everything. Multicam, usually at two or three cameras, no matter what, always on sliders, on the jib or something, going back and forth to kind of get the dynamic flow of it. So that's yeah. something we had done back with Dr. Raymond's when we had to uh, work at the uh, the concert hall that's yeah, down yeah. in Alabama. Yeah. yeah. But then coming back to SC, I think think SC helped me out with the most, and this is something I've i told folks before. And while I was appreciative of being able to do five forty six and then uh, five forty six specifically mm-hmm. when I got to uh, direct there, is it taught me. So uh, you going through SC. And you want to write and direct. And of course, everybody everybody wants to direct. I'm not mad at that. Yeah. Uh, but I think a lot of folks, you know, they think of directing is just about handling the actors and actresses, getting yeah. the best performance, which that's number one. That is. But a lot, of, I don't think a lot of people realize that being a director also means being the best time manager yeah. on that set. And more often than not, it's just not taking care of your actors and actresses yeah. that... Part of it is being able to understand you have a crew of 40 to 200, you know, based on, you know, how big your thing is, and being able to communicate everything you need between all of the departments, make sure you get your shots on time, make sure you don't have anything late. And remember that adding this extra take or two can knock off 15 to 30 minutes and that can make you lose something else to so where you don't need uh, a shot that maybe you need later on, but now it's all gone. You got to go into overtime. Everybody's pissed off. Like that's literally a piece of being, a director, understanding how to just time manage this stuff. And that's probably the most important thing that I brought into Hard war mm-hmm. understanding how to manage an entire set and get exactly what I need and get in and out. Yeah. And that honestly was more important because, you know, again, every single subject in horror war, uh, almost all of them are either scholars yeah. or these are actors and actresses who already know what the hell they're doing. Yeah. So I don't need to direct them for yeah. real, for real. I just need to make sure that as they're making greatness, I am not messing up and not getting it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's where I would say uh, specifically what mm-hmm. SC brought in for me the most was being able to handle hard, and I also say this, everything I did at SC was harder than doing hard work. I'm not yeah. even a lie to you, like in terms of 546 enough. <laughs> so yeah. again, it, even the smaller stuff, this just, you know, Horror Noir just felt like a breeze. It felt like this is how things are supposed to go. Yeah. Versus like, okay, day one, everything's already screwed. Uh, yes. so that's how it
1: can sometimes feel like when you're dealing with the student stuff. So what was your biggest takeaway from making Horror Noir?
0: Well, uh, personally for myself, mm-hmm. the biggest takeaway was, was essentially hearing the story of the director. For black human. And I and I brought this up in other interviews before with William Crane. And the thing for me that I took away from him was this man made this movie. You know, he's he's like 71 years old now. Yeah. But back then he was like 23 in the early 70s making this black centric film mm-hmm. about, you know, a, a black Dracula, essentially, and it was just unheard of. It was yeah. unheard of to not to make black exploitation type work but for a black person to actually be in the reins of directing it uh, in the first place, that's absolutely crazy. So to see what he did, what he made for it to be such a sensation, because whether or not you like it or not, mm-hmm. I don't care about that, but you can never deny that Blackula had a huge impact at the time yeah. and it had a significance to overall film. So with that in mind, the fact that you look up and he just did not have the career he should have had because of systemic racism and because um, a lot of his white counterparts at the time who were working under him and over him didn't like the fact that it was a black person getting to be in this type of role yeah. robbed him of the career that he should have had. So that was a great reminder to me of how far we've come, because without William Crane doing that, mm-hmm. I don't think it's a foreign
1: yeah, it's it's I because I watched Blackula uh, two nights ago uh, in in preparation for this because I've heard you talk about William Crane and it really is a shame and not just I mean William Crane but there there are countless black actors and actresses directors storytellers who didn't get more opportunities during that time I mean even even Dwayne Jones is a guy I see where with Night of the Living Dead and Ganja and Hess, like that's a five year gap that he has and i think he's incredible in both those films and i think william crane is like you said it's it's a black Lives is a very stylish film and has these really that great slow motion like shot that you guys kind of talk about in the movie uh on the documentary like it's just he has a phenomenal eye and it is a shame that he was not allowed to do more with the talent that he has and then my final question before you go, uh, maybe the hardest question you'll get asked, what are your top five favorite films? <laughs> this is kind of how I we end every interview, so.
0: So what I'll do mm-hmm. is instead of just saying top five favorite, I'll just, I'll keep it to horror. Okay, that's fine, that's fine. I'll keep it to horror. So, and, and again, just keep in mind for me, so like, you know, number one, the movie that I go back to all the time, cause you know, it's my top favorite horror is, for me, get It Falls. Yeah fucking love that movie it's amazing everything about it love it it's so it's just it's just good it's just good it's so it's so
1: it's so simple Mm -hmm. and you're like how is this working (laughs) like seriously like
0: yeah you yeah i was amazed like you know dude can barely move but i still find myself very freaked out by this like you know they did a great great they did a great job so that's number one for me Mm-hmm. Next, of course, is Get Out, and we know why Get Out and yeah. what it's done. So I don't even need to <laughs> jump into that. Yeah. Um, the next one that is popping to my head recently is The Witch. Okay. God, so good. Yeah. Such a just such an over. It's like you could take out the horror and it would still be an amazing film.
1: Yeah. It, yeah. Very much like, so. So
0: you know, I give like such high. Regards to the rich, um, the witch, and what it did. So Mm -hmm. you know, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely love that film, Mm -hmm. and I recommend anyone else that uh, that likes it. I mean, they should be checking this out. So you know, I think I've said three. So Mm -hmm. uh, the next one, of course, I can love Train to Busan. Amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Such a great horror film. does so good. And like, just gives you something different, fun within the zombie, you know, understanding. So, you know, that's just really, really awesome to me. And I enjoy it. And then I think that's four right there. So, uh and then the last one, and this is just me being as honest as possible, because one thing I've learned to do <laughs> is I don't give a damn if anybody else loves a movie. I can be exactly. the only person. I exactly. do not care. Exactly. I'm a lover regardless. So exactly. the final one for me is Final Destination. And I mean the entire series. I love every single one of them.
1: They're yeah. amazing. I
0: love the fact that it was a black person specifically who actually created the entire franchise. Most folks don't even know that. But even outside of that, yeah. I just love Final Destination movies. And I wish they would just, I wish we were at Final Destination 15 right now. Yeah. I would still watch it regardless. Would so, you, yeah. would you,
1: would you want to make a Final Destination movie? Is the big question.
0: Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Now, I admit yeah. I definitely want to make one around the time, hopefully, swear to God, you know, cross my fingers yeah. that my career is strong enough to where if everybody hates it, it don't matter and exactly. I can keep on making stuff. Yeah. Um, but yes, if I ever had the chance, would I go back? Absolutely. And I would love every single moment. Yeah. Of it.
1: That's your that's your blank check movie of like I wanna make Final Destination. That's that's exactly. <laughs>
0: absolutely.
1: Uh, well, Xavier, thank you so much. I, I, I said I've loved the film. I've watched it twice so far. It's the it's honestly the only reason I have Shutter right now. Um, and I've watched more since then. Like I know because talk with you, I have been watching a lot of films that are talked about in the movie. Like I said, Ganjin Hess, and uh, I watched Candyman: Tales from the Hood last night. Um, so yeah, I just it, it's it's available on Shutter. Is it is it that's the it, where it's at mainly? Is it anywhere so, else?
0: You can you can watch it on UMC. You can also watch it on Amazon prime right now. And then you can also watch it on shutter and
1: shutter is the place where you can just watch it for free. Yeah. Okay, great. And then, and then where can we find you on social media?
0: So of course you can find me on social media, Twitter, XLNB, uh, Instagram, XLNB Stories, and then Facebook, just Xavier Bergen. I you know, I've been focusing way more on work and writing because of the pandemic and stuff. So yeah. I'm really not on social media as much as I used to be. But I always tell folks if you want to reach out to me, literally it's easier just to email me at this point. Yeah. And for anyone that wants to find it, all you gotta do is go to my social media. It's, it's right there. And mm-hmm. it's pretty simple. But yeah, and I use and the big thing is like I'm always open to talking to anybody. Yeah. But I especially try my best to talk to any younger filmmakers and anyone who's just trying to figure out their journey, what they want to do. I always tell folks this too, I cannot make your film. <laughs> I cannot get you in front of anybody. Don't ask me that. But if you need help, you need someone to read something, give you thoughts, I can do that for you.
1: Yeah. Well, Xavier, again, thank you so much for coming on and, uh, and finding time. I really do appreciate it. And I, I enjoyed talking with you.
0: I appreciate that, man. More than happy to talk to you as well, man. Enjoy that stuff. And yeah, man, thanks for having me on for this. I really appreciate it.
1: That's it, everyone. And thank you so much for listening. And thank you to Xavier for coming on and talking about his film, Horror Noir, which you can find right now streaming on Shudder and Amazon Prime. If you're new to the show, make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you can, give us a rating, give us a review, a five-star rating. Really I really love those. It helps people discover us, gets the word out about us, but also to like hearing what you guys have to say. Make sure you like us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and be prepared guys, next month, November or Noir November. We're talking about film noir from the 1940s and 50s. So be prepared. Our first movie of the month Murder My Sweet from 1944, starring Dick Powell as the detective Philip Marlowe. Thank you guys so much for listening. Have a happy Halloween. Bye.